0: Get up to 60% off during Borough's Memorial Day sale at borough.com slash ACAST. That's borough.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST.
1: I love that you can walk down Dane Street and hear languages from parts of the world that you haven't seen yet or maybe never will get to go to see. Yeah. And I think it's only adding to the culture, which yeah. is really important to remember. It's only feeding it; it's not taken away from it.
2: Hello and welcome to A Life in Dublin I'm your host Mark and with your permission we'd love this podcast to be your digital companion for the next little bit at least Can you think back to a time when you were younger or perhaps in more recent times when you had to stand up in front of a group of people and perform something? Whether it be a poem, a song, a presentation or whatever it is holding your composure doesn't come easy to us all In fact, I'm sure we can all admit that we suffer from nerves at some point in our lives. This is what fascinates me about talking to people like Colm, a professional musician who's toured all over the world, and yet he too admits to experiencing the odd bout of performance anxiety. What was really refreshing about my chat with Colm was that he doesn't put overcoming this anxiety down to increased self-esteem, or we'll say, mental tricks. He puts it all down to hard work and discipline practice until it's more difficult to make a mistake than it is to perform perfectly. I really admire this about Colm and other performing artists. It's so easy to forget the countless hours that goes into what can seem like an effortless performance. Colm tells me about where this discipline comes from and how he's fostered it. We also chat about Dublin and Ireland and how these places have shaped him as a musician and many other topics. Just before we jump into my chat with Colm, I'd really appreciate your help. Leaving a review of this podcast on Apple Podcasts or a quick rating on Spotify can help us way more than you would think. We're trying the best we can to put out as many conversations with people in Dublin as possible. But without your support, these conversations will be lost amongst the endless amounts of content which is released online on a daily basis. If you enjoy this podcast, then please leave a nice review so that we can reach someone else who might also like to listen to these chats. Thank you so much to your, for your support and help. It is really, really appreciated. And now
1: here's my conversation with Column Gavin. Um, it's funny, like the one bit of criteria you always need for a podcast is your voice. And Dylan and me, hay fever wise, usually at the same point. And this morning I woke up like a pollen expressway. <laughs> Yeah, and I was like, "How are you?" He was like, "I'm fine." I was like, <laughs> "Yeah, well, fuck you." It's very old.
2: <laughs> so, um, you know what? The weird thing is, speaking of like the one thing you need for a podcast being your voice. Yeah, is you think that, uh, and then. You kind of do like you just do the audio format, and then people are like, Oh, it doesn't really exist if you didn't take a video of it. I, don't do really that? <laughs> I wouldn't necessarily agree yeah. with either but it's hard this, unless you're a bloody like you know Tim Ferriss or Joe Rogan or one yeah. of these people who have a celebrity behind them mm-hmm. to just put out audio format. I know obviously Joe Rogan does video. Well, stuff.
1: yours is really popular. Like, I had heard of yours, I had seen Facebook story shares from really yeah. half a dozen different people, yeah. Wow, all of whom were interdispersed. So it wasn't like they're all musicians or it wasn't like they were all, you know, of one scene. It wasn't like one group of people sharing one person's it's, clip, um which is fantastic, like you
2: know. Yeah, it's 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 been a bit weird. I can't really believe it's actually grown. Yeah. But um yeah, I, I've just been enjoying having conversations with people. And I think that's a, a format that to a certain extent works. Um, mm. If you're into podcasts, I think that works. Yeah. Um, and yeah, to be honest, what you call them, like, I just absolutely love it. Mm. Yeah, I love doing this. And I've said this on the podcast before, 100 times, and people are really tuning out at this point. But I do really enjoy it. Um, and maybe that comes across. And I think yeah. if you find something that you enjoy doing. Yeah, um, I agree with you, yeah, totally. totally. Because, it, you know, you know yourself, like you, I am... You're, you're working at something that I, I imagine, you haven't told me yet, but I imagine is your passion, but there will be days where you're not, your passion isn't enough, like you don't want to to do it, but if you love it, you'll always put yourself forward and you'll always kind of, um, I guess, get involved in, in the art or whatever it might be. Mm. What is your, your background and how did you get into music in the first place?
1: It's always been a matter of consequence, I think. You know, I I, as in when I was about ten or eleven, my mother had said, "At some stage, you're going to have to take up an extracurricular activity, whether it's which. At one point, it was swimming; another point, it was I used. I don't know if you remember these summer camps that the GAA used to have, where could be hurling, like cool camps, I think they were called. And I sort of established that tennis wasn't for me, golf wasn't for me, and I come from a big GAA family, so I'm sure my father's heart was broken when when that decision was finally made. But it sort of happened out of consequence to begin with, and I joined the Klandauken School of Music, I'd say, which is about 12, 13 years of age, but total accident. It mm. wasn't that I had this big burning passion for music. I often say, like, I was trying to impress a girl. I think mm. that was initially what it was, that mm. the idea of being able to write a song to get this sentiment across. I loved that kind of Romeo bleeding on the vine idea, <laughs> you know, genuinely. Yeah. Um, that was that was a huge part of it. Early yeah. 11-year-old angst. Yeah. You know? Yeah, of course. Um
2: but Definitely. when you went straight into that and School Music, music yeah. at that point, was were you starting from zero or you had a little bit of, you played something or you were into music in some way, shape or
1: form, I imagine. There was a teacher, Fiona Morley, in my primary school and she, off her own bat, would teach acoustic guitar. So she would do Bye Bye Love mm. or a very simplified version of Eleanor Rigby. Mm-hmm. Or the 57th Street Bridge song You know, those kind of really happy 1960s tunes For those of us who were in sixth class And yeah. it was like five euro or less I don't really remember how much it was Because I wouldn't have been paying But yeah. <laughs> uh, Although it, was, it is possible yeah. So she was m- kind of my first introduction to it, But again, that was at a time where I was more In love with the idea of being someone who wrote songs mm. Like a kind of Jackson Brown, Tom Waits Maybe not that specific But like this figure who writes Love Lauren songs mm. with a message, with a point. Because mm-hmm. I remember being like, I often think back in it now, that as a child I, I had this wash of melancholy from the time I was about seven or eight years of age, that I loved pondering ideas. Not death, but that there was that the other world was really close to us. Mm-hmm. And that maybe it was only like animals and children who could really pick up on it. And if you walk the length of breadth of your granny's garden little pieces of that other world would jump out at you mm. and say, you know I'm here and I know you're there, mm. but you can't tell anybody. You know that kind of thing. Mm. Um and I loved that. But with that came kind of a wash of melancholy that if I used to wake up at night when I was seven, six years of age and and cry loud enough, not screaming, but my dad would come in and I was like, When we die, it's gonna be all over. Now these are not normal six, seven year old thoughts not to have. But existentialism mm. It's not like seven years of age. My mother at the end of bed reading Nietzsche. You know, what I mean? yeah, yeah, yeah. or Willem Wright. Um But I just, I, I was always fascinated by these ideas of the multitudes. Do you think this came from like?
2: Uh, is this something definitely innate inside you, or I mean, uh, I remember, I, I can my first uh, encounter with. This Type of thing was watching you know Disney. I like literally, I remember someone had back in the day like brought a VHS, I was like four years old or whatever, a yeah. Bambi into the house.
1: Great
2: and, <laughs> Disney movie, and like obviously, I can't remember. It's the mother, the father dies, the and mother, yeah. I remember it was the first sad movie I watched, and I was like, holy crap, that wasn't, I wasn't see that one coming, yeah. Um, and yeah, very hit emotionally by it, but then I didn't that didn't evolve into um necessarily thinking of, of, of death on a regular basis or anything but as a young man or as a young boy you were you were doing
1: not just death well death seems very oblique but like no no I get it mysticism yeah so I had both sides of my family I had grandparents who came from the country so the west okay. of Ireland and the midlands right. and my mother's mother Mayfie would have told stories about that were sort of she was great for recitations so um there was a brilliant one that she had the death of Dan McGrew and they're, 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 again, this came from a time where she grew up without electricity, without running water. Yep. But, you know, so a lot of these things were out of necessity. So stories to pass the time. Yeah. And she was like uh, a bunch of the boys were whooping it up in a Malamute saloon. And the kid that handled the music box was hitting a ragtime tune. And I loved the flow of it. And I loved knowing that there was a rhyme. So like, like she had a way of she was really captivating with some of the stories that she would tell, and when they rhymed, it was even better. Yeah, of course. So she was someone who was deeply layered in a time that preceded all of what was going on in the present. And today, as you know, there's so little of that left. Like, yeah. there's fewer and fewer people who are alive that would have lived through wartime. Yeah, you know what I mean. Um, that aren't in their hundreds or whatever. So she died over a decade ago, and. While I still have my father's parents, there was definitely in the world that they came from, like West Clare, the west of Ireland, there was my uncle Martin would tell stories about the fairy forts and mm. planning developers that wouldn't build through them and only build around them. And so yeah, there was course. definitely a closeness to that world, yeah. I suppose. And so
2: and, and for thousands of years, there had been, yeah. you know, that that closeness to it. Yeah. I think we've become a little bit distanced from it. In recent times But I often I, I do think it will It won't come back Exactly like that But mm. um, I, I can only speak For myself Um, I can't speak for Like the general zeitgeist Of the country Or of Let's say mm. The western world In general But yeah. I feel like We're kind of Coming back to that There's more people Who are curious About this type of stuff Than ever before Yeah Um, I was actually Listening to another part Like the Blind Boys podcast Last night And he was mm. talking about You know These myths mythological stories and it is fascinating when you hear
1: mm-hmm.
2: a, and as you say it's actually a way of, it's an it's a way of educating people. Because sure. the stories were designed for, there for was a educational moral, moral purposes. Yeah yeah, yeah. 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 Um and it is it they're trying to those stories that survive are trying to teach us something. Mm-hmm. And um these days I'm I'm more into the, like I'm very much into the whole like what you cannot see. Does just, just because you cannot see something or it's not evident to you mm-hmm. doesn't mean it's not. Real, does that make sense? But
1: that's probably a lot to do with the fact that most of our world is visually built up. Yeah. And you think of things yeah. like Instagram and tools like that, it's all the visual. Thing, so. You know? So. so. Yeah. Maybe. So
2: this um brought you like you were melancholic as you said as uh, as a as a kid. The uncle, and, yeah. Um maybe you needed an outlet to express that. Mm um and probably the GAA wasn't the best place for that
1: <laughs> maybe today it is you know, yeah, i don't
2: know yeah maybe uh, so you you went into the, the school of music in Kondokan, mm-hmm. Um and how was
1: it well even by extension of that it was like a fantasy world okay it was so it was for those who wouldn't know the condakem school of music was established in 95 96 by peter and pat stanton peter pat stayed for about a year and peter took over afterwards and Peter could have been somebody written by Roald Dahl. He had okay. a twizzled moustache, <laughs> the united colours of Benetton jumper yeah. with a collar, uh, the deep navy Farrah trousers and a burgundy shoe. And when, when you would arrive, so it was upstairs, it was above, it was beside or above Garvey's, which is like a hardware store in Clendalkin. Uh-huh. Yeah. And when you'd go up the stairs, there was these chimes. So when you'd open the door, chimes would ring and um, would create a perfect cadence and there was a smell because like old carpeted places they absorb the smell of everything in the mornings he used to burn particularly on Saturday mornings he did a Saturday morning theory class and he used to burn these lavender and lemon essential oils you know like these little cups and it sits and you put a candle in the middle mm, and it burns I remember them yeah That's a thing because he smoked sweet afton cigarettes which were filterless so carols have discontinued them since because yeah. they were coffin nails yeah. <laughs> but and it would just go through the house you know like he was very unorthodox and when I first went to him, the smoking ban was a year in place so he was kind of adjusting to a world where you know you couldn't walk through Super Quinn just smoking a mm. a ciggy and picking up the messages and stuff like that yeah. and and for me he was yeah. somebody he was a renaissance man he never really adjusted to post 1986 mm. that was that was my first experience yeah I? it was a good description of him <laughs> <laughs> trying to be as vivid as possible yeah um
2: And he was obviously an influence on you uh, musically, I imagine.
1: Yeah, he put in life too. He, so from the time that I met him, he was somebody who I wanted to know better. Everything about him fascinated me. Mm. And he always smelled of lemon. He never smelled smoky. I'm I'm giving you things that I filled in the the blanks later. Yeah. But he used to, at the top of the stairs, there was this room that was completely wood. And I suppose his thinking was, well, it won't, smell won't stick. And he'd have, the window swung right open. Ah, That room overlooked the, Quinlan's Black Line Car Park, which is a very popular pub in Clendalkin, and he'd smoke on his break, so on the hour, every hour, he'd go out for a cigarette. I had been with him two or three years when I pegged on to what he was doing, and uh, again, part of that melancholic, uh, impulsive teenager that I wanted to be, I'd taken up smoking, and so on the break of one of his classes, I said, can I go with you? Said, okay, all right, so we went out and and I remember him saying to me, does your mother know you smoke? Mm-hmm. No, and don't tell her either. Mm-hmm. But he, he instilled in me a love of music. He taught the classical method. He came from the army number no. one band in Cork and okay. he had gone through Artane Boys yes. Boys Band and Boys School. And he had a pretty rough life. You know, he'd spent a lot of it separated from his parents and from some of his siblings too. But he was very much a standalone stoic figure. You got the sense he didn't really need anybody. And when I met him, he would have been in his early 50s late 40s but he looked like he could have been in his 60s then mm. he did have a timeless look about him but he taught us about the great american songbooks: so jerome kern mm. huggy carmichael mm. the gershwins particularly george gershwin and so he would sit at the piano and say this is modal interchange this is harmony mm. this is stepwise motion this is how this works this is how that works and the whole thing fascinated me from the age of twelve, thirteen. And I was his student for about fifteen, sixteen years altogether. He passed away in early twenty twenty one. So we're still kind of in COVID times. And he didn't get half the send off he deserved. It was back when you could only have yeah, five to a few and all that. It? it is when you have these great figures in life who leave us. But he was brilliant. Kamir, when you you're
2: talking about these people, you're you're mentioning I guess um I don't want to use the word stereotypical, but very Irish characters, whether it be your your grandmother telling you these stories, or mm. um, or or this man who's you know a big influence in in terms of educating you in in, in music and in life. Mm. Uh, then you also mention artists and music from from outside of Ireland, right? Um, how do you think you being Irish mm. um, and maybe having inspiration from from international music yeah. uh, what does that create or, or is there a, a culture within Ireland that leads well to becoming a musician or or perhaps it doesn't at all mm. I don't know if you understand my question I
1: do, I do, totally well if you consider how small an island it is mm. and yet when you think on the international level Thin Lizzy, Van Morrison mm. Sinead O'Connor, U2 mm. Rory Alher yeah. like, it, you would be hard pressed to go to Germany Italy now, then think now again we have the benefit of being an English speaking country so yeah. there's fewer barriers and hurdles to get over but just think of what we've done on an international level and yeah. again you know Van Morrison no discredit to him probably wouldn't be spoken in the same hallways as Jerome Kern and people in the Great American Songbook. because writers come and go but Maybe that, again, lends to whatever mysticism. And Van is probably a good example because so many of his records, like No Guru, No Method, No Teacher, Mm. um, Avalon of the Heart. Mm. Do you know what I mean? They're all very... And again, this was... I'm only giving you what, as a kid, this was the way I kind of viewed the world. Like, it wasn't very black and white. It was very full of characters. Like, where I grew up, I used to call my house and say the horseshoe because that's kind of what it was shaped like. And Mm. along the horseshoe, you would have characters like... Again, old world people. Mm. Like my my best friend's grandmother, Carmel Kenny, was like a a lady in every sense of the word. She came from like a, almost a Victorian type era. Mm. She was just otherworldly and and could speak to you like a mother, um, in a positive and a negative way. Yeah. But again, her. Those who belong to horror and connected with them you know it's like if you're a friend of his, you're one of ours, yeah, and i I grew up with a lot of people like that and a lot of figureheads, which I think today are almost completely gone because there's such a distrust, especially with children it's like no, you don't go into somebody else's house, you know yeah that's, that's not what you do, you know yeah, those days of yeah, you
2: could just see you just randomly pop in to see the neighbor or whatever or yeah. Even you getting your football out of the out of the garden for next door exactly. and stuff yeah. like that, hop in the back wall, hopping the ba- yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. You didn't even have to ask; you just hop no. over the wall. Yeah, um, it is a very different world. Um, it's not for me to say uh, if that's a good or a bad thing. Nor me, nor me, because yeah. the world is changing too. So you you know you can't have everything. Yeah, exactly. But it does. You do miss those characters. It's right. You're you're right. And, and perhaps you had access to not only your family but these different generation characters like maybe kids these days are very much within they spend time with kids their own age mm-hmm. whether it's school or extracurricular activities Um, but you know the kind of old man or old lady in, on your street mm-hmm. probably don't have as much contact with, with those characters anymore mm-hmm. it's, a different, it's a different Dublin it's a different Ireland, I was yeah. only talking to my brother about this a few minutes ago before you came in um, and it's a new, I don't know if you what you think about Dublin, but Dublin is so different mm. now, especially city city centre. Like, you're in the city centre. It's mm. like such a multicultural place. It wasn't like that yeah, 20 years ago. I mean, there was a multiculturalism, but, like, sometimes you can be walking down Dame Street and you can't even hear anyone speaking English. Yeah. Um, I love that. Absolutely I was about love. to
1: say I do too, yeah. yeah absolutely yeah. love it. Man. I'm not one of these who pines for the days when... All we saw was our own, you know, that kind of thing. About our own, I don't mean, like, I love that you can walk down Dane Street and hear languages from parts of the world that you haven't seen yet or maybe never will get to go to see. Yeah. And I think it's only adding to the culture, which yeah. is really important to remember. It's only feeding it, it's not taking away from it.
2: Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And there's so much more stuff going on. I think other cultures are much better at organising things than we are perhaps yeah yeah perhaps maybe that's part of our charm yeah. but, I don't know yeah. but we're happy to turn up once it's organised yeah yeah
1: yeah yeah. or not as
2: the case sometimes is when was the first time you played live music as Colm Gavin as opposed to you know with a a, a group or whatever
1: it might have been just as me yeah so because I did play with little groups and stuff like that yeah so just
2: as me tell me about that later but okay. I want to know just as you because it, like it, it's a different experience I imagine
1: You're completely yeah, yeah. But it's, a good, it's an experience, and maybe you'll understand what I mean by this, that you're not actually there for, because mm. you're so consumed with nerves. If you think of maybe the first time you did a podcast, mm. oh, yeah, you are concerned right. about the laptop doesn't die, that the phone is still yeah. on, that you don't have to tap this or that. And the conversation kind of goes by. Yeah. And you time. think, that didn't even happen. Yeah. And then you listen back and you say, oh, I shouldn't have said um mm, there so many times or whatever. So in the Kandakan School of Music every summer, we had a recital. Of sorts Mm. And so Your party piece Let's say You would have been learning For the months leading up to it So let's say it was June June was when Mm. it happened The 30th or the 25th or whatever And I was working with a vocal coach Catherine Downey Who's now actually a very dear friend of mine And she was going out with Angus Devine Angus Devine was a wonderful musician Who played a big role in my life Mm. From the time I was about Maybe seven or eight And he, he was very much connected With my uncle Brian Uh, Who was a musician too. And uh, the song I had been learning was Hallelujah by Leonard Cohen. Mm. So I was probably 14 or 15. And the whole day I was just breaking it. You know, I was, there was no. I I remember the feeling of holding a mic. And I remember the feeling of trying not to look at too much of the room. Because sometimes if you take on board how many people there are, it's. It's overwhelming. It's more overwhelming than you can deal with. And I wasn't playing an instrument because I remember being so shaky. Mm. I would rather do a semi-okay vocal than an absolutely rubbish performance of both guitar and, and vocal. Yeah. You know, And I think it went okay. I remember getting into the car and my mother saying, you should sing around the house more often. No, no, <laughs> like no, If I was brutal, they would have said, it was great, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. Because I was a child, but there was something kind of liberating about it. And I remember bouncing into class at the end of the summer. And by that point, I was 15 going 16. I was ready. I kind of had a much more, I had that summer to become a more well-rounded version of who I thought I was. I remember the next week going into HMV and buying tea for the man by Cat Stevens and, <laughs> like, Blood on the Tracks by Bob Dylan and feeding that songwriter. So now I had kind of got a batch of songs under my belt and mm. the person I was in June of 20, or 2007 was very different to the me of September of 2007. It
2: seems like you have quite a... Um, I mean, you already said you've got like a melancholic soul or whatever, but I, I mean, it's it's fascinating to see how um well you're able to narrate these these types of things, you know. And let's put it this way: how aware you were of who you were or who you wanted to be. When I was 15 years old, all all bets were off. I didn't have a clue what was going on, you know. You, you, like in terms of. Oh, maybe I do myself a bit a bit of a disservice but at the same time I, I don't think I had it figured out you seemed to like you knew your direction where did you grow up I grew up uh, in Clontarf went to school in Rohini in St Paul's okay. College in Rohini okay yeah
1: now I would look at Clontarf and Rohini as being quite well to do yeah. yeah yeah
2: well definitely in terms of I, I, I had a, a nice upbringing, yeah for sure. Yeah. Um unfortunately I don't know if I'll ever get back to that. <laughs> yeah, you will, you will. Um, it's all but, coming hens coming home for Um no, I I can't complain. Um mm. I grew up in in Clontarf. Now St. Paul's was uh um it, it it wasn't like a lot of the kids that I went to primary school with would have gone off to, to other schools like, okay. like, like Belvedere and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um I think my dad uh who came from Mayo was a very, you know, very much a believer in 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 the public school system. And what part of Mayo? He grew up in a place. Um, the, the specific place would be Cullmore, but then okay. the, the town next to that would be Kilkelly, which is really okay. yeah. back end of nowhere. You know, yeah, actually the poorest part of Ireland if you look at the geography books. Okay. Um. But uh, so he came from that kind of humble beginnings, and then sure you now moved to. So
1: he would have been the school of get yourself a good pensionable job type. Individual,
2: um, yeah. Um, well, no, he was forward thinking, I would imagine, but at the mm. same time, um, I think he just wanted, you know, I think he believed in 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 that kind of like go through a normal school, with, sure. like n- normal people, yep. and then you know it's good for you, and like, it'll make you a better person. Yeah, yeah, I, and I'm very grateful for it because I have like just incredible friends from from that time. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that that was it was phenomenal. For that. Like mm-hmm. like growing up there was, was you know brilliant. Mm-hmm. Loved every minute of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Um, you would how would you describe the the area like and where you grow? Because uh, people speak so fondly of it to me. Um,
1: I think today and again I I'm always a little bit I don't like really talking on the subject because I feel like I'm talking out of at a line, but. I can only talk about my experience, and my experience I, was very idyllic within my community. So, the neighbours that I had, the my grandparents, my, mm-hmm. my own parents, uh, the parents of my friends. You know, we were very protective of one another. But like, like in a lot of places, there was a lot of good and a lot of bad. And I don't, I wouldn't put that down to groups of people. I just think you had to encounter more. Mm. You know, it was, it was a tough time, you know. I mean, I went to school with the, with the Christian brothers and they were telling you, like, we are heading for the biggest recession that we've ever experienced. So you grab onto whatever log or raft you can and just hold tight. Yeah. And that was what I grew up with being told. Yeah. So prospects of uh, actor... Mm. touring musician, forget about it. You know, if you can get a good job down in the credit union, hold on to that. You know what I mean? Credit union's volunteer, but like a deli, you know, yeah, yeah. hold on to it. So I remember where I would have to pass through to get to music lessons, like you might run into a bunch of lads at the bus stop who try to take your guitar and smash it in half. Yeah. So you have to learn to be kind of quick on your feet and kind of thrifty. And that's a gift that I'm... I'm the way you talk about your upbringing, I feel the same. It gave me gifts. It hardened me It educated me to... Be able to spot trouble, you know. And you I felt like you paid it. It's not like today. Today kids have meditation classes and they sit down and talk about and it's good yeah. and it's healthy. I went to school with guys because it was an only boys' school. Mile Park College was was only guys. And while the teachers were brilliant, there's only so much your teachers can do. You can't be accountable for every bloody student. Yeah. And so now today you more so, but back then it was a little bit difficult. Um so there were lads who were maybe coming from difficult circumstances, maybe they had no breakfast leaving the house and no dinner to come home yeah. to. Yeah. So and I, again, I'm so conscious of talking about this because I know there'll be people here and go, he's making it sound like it's all of our Yeah, which no. it wasn't. But, yeah. but you understand what I mean. So you paid a price for being an individual, but if you were willing to fight it out, it was worth it. I think.
2: Yeah, um, I was. We were chatting last night to uh, to Brian. I don't know if you know. He's this guy. He calls himself the accidental rapper. But, oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, he's brilliant. But uh, he himself, I think, would w- would say that you know, there's this imposter syndrome of of being a, a musician, and mm. it's very difficult in Ireland sometimes to say something like, "I'm a musician." You know, or or I'm an actor, or I'm. Yeah, you, a you
1: touched on this with with Cree as well, didn't you? Yeah, 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 yeah. It's very interesting.
2: Yeah, but it's it's true. Yeah, um, and and I don't know what it is, and you just said it there yourself. It's that kind of tall poppy syndrome. It's like you said, if you
1: want to be someone different, you better have like this was, the courage it, to go. for it. Absolutely, but this was even more so in school. You know, today, think of think of how young people today have the freedom to be as individualistic as they want to be, yes. almost in a way that. And let me phrase this right. Not that it's not cool, but it's nearly the done thing now. Do you know what I mean? Like to have interests in the Beatles. Now I'm talking specifically about interests. You know what I mean? Like if you cared about the Beatles when you were my age, it was like, that's granddad music. You know, Yeah. the lads used to slag me and say that I went to gaff parties with Tina Beamish and, you know, (laughs) the newspaper under my arm. So whereas today, when you meet kids through musical education, if they have interests, well, they have a phone. That has a backlog right to the 1920s and tens so it wasn't unusual to encounter well it isn't now to encounter young people who have interest in music that far predates their existence yeah whereas if you knew about the 60s in 2004 2005 it was like why yeah whose record collection do you have access to yeah. you know so that kind of thing yes yeah, it's, it's weird
2: uh, I I I used to love... I don't know how I got... I was into music as a kid. Um, always have been. Um, mm. And... Um, yeah, I... I loved going back and listening to... Um, someone would give me an album. Mm. Uh, you know, it was those days where you either... You loan the albums out, like the physical mm-hmm. disc, or uh, maybe your parents have something, or they bought something. And... Uh, yeah, I got really into not so much 60s music, but a lot of 70s music. Okay. I loved that, listening to that as a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there was the kind of indie uh, boom yeah. in like 2002, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, that mm-hmm. kind of time of like Franz Ferdinand and yeah. all of these bands who I think were heavily influenced by that type of music as well. Yeah. All of them, obviously. But um, I I thought when I first discovered that some of the music that I was listening to on the radio now
1: yeah.
2: is influenced by something someone did in the 60s or 70s. Mm-hmm. That made me interested in going back to and look, going, well, okay, know. so that was influenced by this, so let's check out this. And then mm-hmm. does that go back? Who were they influenced by? Mm. I never went back further than that, really. Okay. But, um, but that was when, for me, music became like more interesting, let's say. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, and, and just fell in love with it, mm-hmm. you know, would would listen to music till four o'clock at, at night, just couldn't turn it off. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's just an incredible, incredible thing. Never been a, a, a good producer of that, <laughs> but very good at well, listening tricky. to it.
1: Yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah it's tricky. <laughs> it is. Um, how do you manage it? Like... What is your your
1: day-to-day look like? How How is music in your daily life at the moment? Well, it is all I do. Hmm. There's no... I don't supplement it with anything else, but there's a lot of feathers on the bow. Yeah. So I tend to think of myself... See, when I say this, it's kind of contradictory, but I tend to think of myself, first and foremost, as a songwriter, because I do a lot of writing for other artists as well. So my morning might look like getting up at six, making the coffee, sit at the piano, and my to do for that day would be to finish a song or to collaborate with somebody like Claudia Buckley, who I've I've worked with a lot lately, who's one of the, I mean, one of the best country artists, exports that we have mm. in this country. I mean, only last night at the Hot Country TV Award, she was given for the second year in a row, Country oh. Artist of the Year. She very recently um, took a song of mine, Honey Bee, and completely reinvented it and made it her own to the point where it's more of a collaboration now than than it would be an original song. Um, and she had a number one with it both here and in the UK. Mm. And so there's a lot of stuff that happens in my career that I'm not, a, not, I'm not a part of, but like I'm just slightly out of focus in the in the photograph. Mm. But I do, I mean, my own solo career is kind of my my primary focus. Mm. But there are a lot of other things that I do, which I love doing, and I suppose having that flexibility of being able to say, I'll do five months worth of touring a year ish Mm -hmm. spread out throughout the year and still having time to write songs for other artists, work with other artists um, and explore different avenues of creativity is a benefit that has had its pros and has had its cons, you know, because I wouldn't be the best well known solo artist, but I've had the opportunity to write for some great ones and then as well as that, I'm very lucky that I do, like, I, I have a vibrant enough solo career that I could do a gig in Arthur's, say, on Thomas Street tomorrow and, s- and sell it out. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? But maybe not the three arena, you know, that kind yeah. of thing. But for what I do, that kind of singer-songwriter, piano, balladeer, vein, it kind of works. Like, if, if I don't know that it would work in an environment bigger than 1,000, 2,000 people because intimacy is a huge... It's a quality that I really cling to because once that's gone, a lot of what I do becomes very sheeny, sheeny. Well, so it's
2: what you want as well, isn't it? It's what mm. you you want to enjoy. Like, do you like? At the end of the day, do you really you want to be playing to thousands and thousands of people, or does or does that kind of distance it, as you say? Or whereas if you can get that intimacy, mm. which creates a very different type of environment. Um and i th- I do think that type of music is also more suited to those those types of venues, sure um having seen like artists play places like M- Malahide Castle, I was mm. like, wow, this is just too open, oh like, yeah, it's yeah. Just getting lost yeah you know and yeah and, and and it's such a pity because this is amazing, an amazing artist and and stuff like that, yeah, um when you get you're six o'clock in the morning, it's an early start yeah. for a musician. <laughs>
1: oh yeah. 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 Um
2: does that, does that extend to it? Have you made that a, a working day or are you like very disciplined in the sense that it's planned out what I'm doing this time and that time? Or are you one of these artists who is like taken by the moment and you could be like 24 hours at the piano and then you're not at the piano again for another two weeks?
1: 21-year-old me wasn't going anywhere. Okay. In a way that if I'd been left to my own devices... don't no, no. mm. it, know. It was just... A lot of it came down to and comes down to... Having a routine for me is like setting traps for the lazy, just-wants-to-be-with-his-mates-out-drinking wake up at two o'clock in the day guy mm. that is me that like i have to set the ru- the routine of my life is to set traps for him so that he doesn't win because mm. if he wins we're not talking yeah yeah. And, yeah and and i i'm moving into territory that's i don't feel qualified to speak about but in my what has helped me is to have a routine that if you slow down all those things that you want to do. So like what I said to you about Claudia having great success with that song, that doesn't get to happen. Yeah. Touring with people who are like my idols, like Dean Friedman, that doesn't get to happen. So you, once you've achieved things, it's not an achievement to pat yourself on the back. It's to say, if you don't keep up that routine, you're going to lose all of it. And it's going to be all your faults. Mm. So it's like I have. To, I'm always playing tricks on that guy who just wants to... You know, the only concern is that I have enough money to go down to the pub at the end of the week. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Or two, three days, four days a week. Is that you putting a lot of pressure on yourself? I have to. I'm naturally indolent. Okay. (laughs) I am. Yeah. I am. If I didn't have to, I wouldn't do anything. And that does frighten me because sometimes I feel that. And in a way, I've, I've, I've set, like I say, I set these traps five, six days a week so that that guy doesn't win because he's won in the past and it's not a place that I would like to revisit yeah. too frequently, you know.
2: It's it's a weird one, isn't it? And, and you're right. It, and also, you're just, it's not, for me, that's a good way of putting it. I like the way you put it in the sense of mm. like, look at everything that I've done and my achievements and this wouldn't have never happened if I wasn't organized and had a routine. Yeah, uh, I look at it in a slightly different way. Okay. And I said, um, these are the, to sit on the couch and watch Netflix is kind of what I you know, want to do it's not really what would make me happy like the, okay. the reality of that is yeah. like and the reality I think for you too would be if you were doing that there's going to come a point where you're like oh, I'm bored or I feel like crap um, mm-hmm. there must be something more to all of this and I think that you, you wrestle with that a little bit or I did anyway in your 20s of those yeah. kind of like the good what you think is the good moments versus going through the difficult things but actually enjoying and what the getting, real good moments are? Yeah, yeah. getting yeah. getting more, getting more from life. Like, mm-hmm. um, I did that, uh, doing this podcast has made me realize talking to people like you, and um, um, or maybe just my life in the last couple of years. But there's so much more to life than I thought there was. Yeah. Does that make sense? It's nice. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, and you can actually just get that from having conversations with people. Yeah. Um, so much more to explore. So much more to to do. Um, then as much as I love going to the pub and having pints with my mates, mm. I adore, adore it. Mm. Um, there's, there is a lot more to life than that. Yeah. Um, don't get me wrong, I will do that, I hope, for the rest of my life, but especially these days, just the effects of the day after and all the rest of it. Oh, well, yeah, well, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's just not the same.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, then again, I mean, there's there's that aspect of being in a precarious business where it's not like you hate your job you work in a bank and you do it and you grin and bear it and you go home and there's a wage at the end of the week Yeah. when if it's just you if if you stay stagnant nothing happens there's nothing happens by itself you know yeah. um, there's more to it than that but again I, I needed that and I my parents were in in the, in the most positive way possible, we're very unforgiving with that. Like, if you're gonna go into music, that's fine, but you need to make a routine of it. I need I need to be able to see you actively doing something to make this happen. Yeah. And all of this going and having a gig, but then spill that spill over into somewhere on Camden Street with your mates for points is not going to happen. You you. Mm. I need to see if I can see you get up in the morning. You know, songwriting from seven to twelve. If you're gig in the evening or you're teaching whatever i'll call that productive and maybe we won't crack the whip as hard but i I needed that and as i get older there's nobody to do that for me so i have to be the person to do that for myself so it kind of keeps me at a certain productivity rate you know there's a brilliant cartoon from the new yorker of this guy sitting in an office space like this well he's got like a big glass window looking at me says on paper i know i'm successful but there's always that voice in my head that says yeah but where's your yacht Do you know what I mean? And and I think maybe that's an Irish thing as well. Yeah, of like it's never enough. Yeah, you know, never to fall back in your laurels. Always, always reaching. And um, I think that's it. it,
2: It's it's a human nature, but it's also it it can be hard one to manage at times. Um, How do you relate the the voice in your in your mind that is the um, very disciplined? Uh, adult musician, professional musician, um, to the melancholic child that you spoke about a few mm. minutes ago, um, are those two things? I, I imagine the combination of those two is what is creating the art.
1: Yeah, yeah.
2: But how do you manage those voices in your head? Because, like, uh, just to give you an example, like mm. for me, when I'm like being, I can put a lot of pressure on myself, and that sometimes makes me unhappy. Okay. And I need to take the, the like, I need to go re- relax a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. Uh, and how do you manage that?
1: It In the beginning, it wasn't easy because when you start any journey, there's no immediate tangible reward. So it's, for me, it's like what I said a couple of minutes ago. When you see things that have happened and you say, well, if you had just, if you were like, that group that you like to go for points with or, and I'm not talking about anybody specific, but if I had taken that road as opposed to this road, that wouldn't have happened. If you didn't send that email, if you didn't make that call, if you didn't go to that meeting, if you didn't do that podcast, Mm. do you see what I mean? So it's accumulative, cumulative, but once you've established something tangible that you can look back and say, there's a whole body of boxes ticked, that if it weren't for that voice telling you, you need to get up, you need to do this, wouldn't have happened. Mm. That, it's muscle memory, then. Okay. Pain is a product of remembrance, so every time you feel like you're falling back into an old habit, you you spring out of it again, or yeah. at least I try to, anyway. And what you said about the the melancholic child is like there's a brilliant book by Julia Cameron called The Artist's Way, mm-hmm. and she talks about nurturing that inner melancholic child. But you have to speak to it like a parent to the child and say, I know you're there. Yeah. I'm not ignoring you we're going to have quiet time for a while and then afterwards maybe let's go for a treat you like coffee let's go for coffee you, th- yeah. there's that French film festival that's on that you're always saying you'll go to let's go to that but for a while you need to be quiet Yeah. and we're going to sit and focus at the piano and we're going to take little bits of what you're saying to me and feed that into a creative narrative and if you can help me if you'll help me with that we'll reward that later with points mm. yeah <laughs> <laughs> which is what I do yeah that is exactly what I do yeah yeah how long does it take to write a song? From the time that it starts. So it, it begins with an idea. So for example, if I say I'm gonna do like a kind of a tango thing, and I've been listening to a lot of Henry Mancini scores. Mm-hmm. It's like okay, I like that type of melody that goes ba da ba, whatever. Okay, twist that up. Let's start with something musical. What does that feel like? What does that invoke? Oh, and whenever, La, da, da. okay, whenever. Is that a good word? Is that a good place to start? Uh Moon, adjective, flashy word, colourful word. You know what I mean? So then we have a sentence and it's like, okay, that's good, but the rhythm is wrong. You know what I mean? So I won't leave until it's it's done. But usually once I have it all in place, it takes as long to write as the song takes to sing. Typically, wow.
2: Typically. In- interesting process in the sense of, I don't know, it sounds like you're, you're, you're taking things from the ether, spitting it out, seeing how it sounds, and then kind of going back and, and testing it yeah,
1: uh, bit by bit. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. Because that's cool. all it is. Like, nothing's created, it's just discovered. Mm. So it's one idea against the backdrop of another one with tiny changes in the foreground and then a rhythmic difference, and now you're onto a train of thought, and then you just let that flow.
2: I was speaking to someone recently, um, an, an artist, and he said, I, I'm not I'm not an artist. I am I'm simply a, like a portal for this. I like this is not my music. Mm-hmm. And what you said there about um, you, you mentioned that, you know, you're working with it in, in this way. Mm-hmm. Do you consider that and this is a, maybe a bit of a, a spiritual question, but do you mm-hmm. consider this art yours or where does this come from? Where is the, is it your creation?
1: No. Yeah. No, it's kind of of like if you learn martial arts, you learn a discipline and a form and a way of holding yourself and then a, a, a method of combat and you're pitted against people who've learned that same method of combat. If you triumph over 18 different people, does that make you the owner of what the art form is no you're just Mm -hmm. acting within you're working within the confines of your of the limits of your own creativity but there are composers who can arrange for 88 piece orchestras and get lost in ideas that can last 45 minutes and never once repeat a section you know what i mean there are levels of it but then for some people, they can't stand classical music or jazz, yeah. would be seen as like the most in-depth experimental. This is as far into the water as you can go without getting lost. And some people can't bear to listen to it. Yeah. So there's no way to quantify of like, who's the best or, you know, does this, does this, is Miles Davis the king of jazz? Do you know what I mean? Because it's so subjective. But from a creative perspective too, I think you're only operating within a medium that has existed since time in memoriam you know Mm.
2: and so is is for you uh, an objective to kind of push the the boundaries of what that medium is or no no i
1: don't want to reinvent the wheel i love the creative process i love the idea that and for sometimes like one of one of my most recent songs barbara is about the idea of being in college and your best friend is barbara streisand (laughs) <laughs> in in 1969 or whenever yeah, and like all the kind of scrapes she'd get into and all this stuff because I would watch a movie like Funny Girl and think well, she would be a really interesting friend to have and then write something about that yeah do you know what I mean yeah so that feels kind of playful so that would be like a Latin American rhythm and then I you know what do I want to do melodically well like a key change here I could do that so that, yeah, it's not reinventing the wheel, but it's certainly a different approach. Have you ever, like, experimented with any other art forms? Whether no. it be writing
2: or, or anything else?
1: When I was 22, I wrote a book of poetry and short stories, but, okay. that, but that would wow. be kind of like just lyrics without music, as far as I'd be concerned. I well,
2: be. actually, I think what you're... When, whenever I'm listening to you, um, I've mentioned it a couple of times already, but you're telling stories, even in your music, I think. You know, you're a storyteller because you what you said to me there, which I thought was interesting. You said you put out a melody, you were singing it, and you said, "How did that make me feel?" or "How does that feel?" Mm. And when you're talking about that, it's you're constructing a story, you know, because any story teller, just like maybe your grandmother, so to a certain extent, it's something that has maybe been passed down from from within your family. Um, mm. I think that ability to tell a story but you're Maybe. just doing it through, through music Maybe. would be my like very yeah. just yeah 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 mm,
1: Freudian analysis
2: yeah whatever uh, <laughs> they'll call it Kellyan in the future yeah uh, no, they definitely won't well they may um, but it's interesting uh, I just that's why I said it to you so I was wondering if you had done any kind of other storytelling yeah um,
1: that will be it though I can't paint or
2: anything <laughs> you and me both um, <laughs> would that I could you know I, I get frustrated. My I my fiance, she she's she's into painting. Okay. Um and will say, I'm going to paint like that, you know, this picture here. Okay. And I'd be like, Okay, cool, yeah, I have this in my head. Yeah. we we'll both start and in like ten seconds she'll have sketched it. And I was just like, How did you do that? Uh-huh. Like Trial like, and, error and I'd be like going slowly and like yeah. trying to do the lines and then it would just look absolutely pathetic. Sure. Trial and error. <laughs> it's weird, isn't it? How yeah. people have these talents. And, absolutely. You know, some people have this and they just don't have that. But I, I I, don't know where that comes from. Yeah. Where would you attribute your talent to? Habit.
1: Oh, I don't have talent. Okay. I, I would regard it
2: You've got a very good voice.
1: No, I don't. Speaking or singing. And funny because I I only did an interview the other day. Um, just before Christmas, I was in Nashville shooting. It, it's basically a Netflix series called Singing Upstream. And it looks at artists, songwriters, singers, uh, people who operate within the music business from different parts of the world and how they exist. Mm. And they were in Ireland this past week shooting just parts of that Mm. and in the interview segment i introduced myself as a songwriter and the interviewer said oh not a singer songwriter and i kind of as a a defense mechanism so that if when the comments come in oh he's shy i can say well i'm a songwriter i'm not i I never called myself a singer you can't call me you you know what i mean um so it's kind of a get out of jail card because i only Like, I loved people like Leonard Cohen, David Bowie, or Bowie's a great singer, Bob Dylan, who weren't like, you know, man, hey, it's all about the voice. You know, it's like a character rather than being this great operatic Caruso-type singer. And um, so just back to what you said about talent, for me, it's habit. So if you learn a sequence on the piano... The reason, you do when, the reason you practice is so that when you do it in front of people and you would get nervous, you know it well enough that you won't mess up. Yeah. That's my belief with performance. That's why bands rehearse. It's like you're going to get nervous anyway, but if you practice this so much, most of the memory will bring you there, and then you can actually enjoy the performance. That's why we practice. And it's yeah. the same thing with songwriting. If you do it again and again and again and again and again, if you're writing to task, so if Claudia Buckley rings me up and says, let's write a song about Nashville, Tennessee, I can get to where she wants to go faster. I can cut the wheat from the chaff and say, I know you want the... You're explaining it to me in one way, but what you mean is let's do something mixolydian, mm. you know, as opposed to our standard diatonic melody. Mm. Does that make sense? I'm yeah. probably going off on a tangent here. No, no, it does make sense.
2: Yeah. Um, also, to a certain extent, I, I imagine it being challenging because when you're... As a as an artist in general, when mm. whether as a professional, and you have a, a deadline, whether that's imposed by you or imposed by somebody else, yeah, um, it puts it. it does it take the joy out of of the process? because there's a there's an expectation there as to what you're you're going to produce this is no longer you uh, as a kid in, like just messing around on, on an instrument this yeah. is you with an expectation that this messing around on an instrument is going to result in something that somebody is going to consider good or acceptable or whatever sure i imagine that's incredibly stressful
1: <laughs> for me the times where i've just been noodling and reaching for whatever are always the pieces where I look back and say it was okay but you could have done it better if I'm setting myself a task I do well like I was a brutal student academically but when you take I work better under pressure so if you say okay this is a dead this is a co-write deadline that needs to be done by Wednesday and it's Tuesday at half past two that's when I'll start to thrive that's when the idea is Come to me quicker or i can at least focus better mm. whereas if i have two months to get something done it'll be the day before yeah. that i sit down at the piano too and i think a lot of us are like that but i love and it comes back from my to my classes with peter where he would sit down and say that's an a flat minor chord a flat minor is the two of whatever key and you know here's an f sharp minor well that's the sixth of a but it's also the two in e so can we use this to modulate and i love that that fascinates me. So when I'm at the piano, it's like going through rudiments and then somewhere in the middle, something clicks.
2: So you you, you really do love the process. Process, yeah.
1: Yeah. That's my favorite part.
2: Yeah. yeah. That's it. That's really powerful. I think if people, no matter what they do, can love the process, then then it, it's such a hard thing to come by. Um for me, that's, that's something that I enjoy about this podcast. Like, I love have this chat and the process of it. Yeah, I'm actually not that concerned about what happens afterwards, and um, there's very few other things in my life that are like that, if right. any. Even going for a run today, yeah, you know, I, I do this thing sometimes where I can see where I'm supposed to stop, so that freaks me out because you're like, "Oh, I'm so far away," oh, um, okay. so right. I just look down at the ground. Yeah like right in front of me just at my feet as I'm running. Mm -hmm. And then I'm saying, Mark, the only reason you're looking down at the ground is because you can't, you're getting distracted. You're like, you're focusing on finishing. Mm -hmm. Whereas you should be just focusing on, on bloody running. Like you try to enjoy this or whatever, or how do you feel right now? Whereas my mind is completely in stopping. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. If I was able to just run and just not really think about when I'm going to stop or mm-hmm. or focus on, on any of that sort of stuff, yeah. and that can apply to other aspects of your life as well. Yeah. Whether you might be working in an office on a project yeah. and you just can't stop thinking about bloody finishing the project because yeah. you hate the process. Yeah, there you go. Um, and some of those things, like you said, I think you have to put yourself through a routine and it has to be done. Mm-hmm. Um, it's... The the fact that you love the process of of making music, I mm-hmm. think, is probably a huge reason why you've
1: had success. That part of the creating it, I do. I I, I wouldn't. I like being in the studio, but I don't love it. Okay, you know what I mean. I love touring, mm. love it. Um, I don't love every aspect of all the different things. So there's some like I love being at the piano when it's just me. If I co-write, the other person's never in the same room. Yeah. So there's aspects of the process that I love. But I don't, like you were saying about your run, and you're saying to yourself, Mark, okay, take your mind off where the end goal is here for a second and let's just be in the moment. It's not always that easy. No, geez.
2: Mm. <laughs> it's the seat, like if we can figure that one out, yeah. um, I'd be doing well.
1: What is touring like? You touring's great. Yeah, touring's great. It's great because that was really the measure of when I was growing up. Like, especially since I've been, I've had the opportunity to go to the states to play. Yeah, you know that that's Amazing. been huge because that was always a way in the distance thing. Yeah, you know. So, I like it's intense, and you do need you need to be in fine fettle to do it. But it's the reward of getting to do a gig in somewhere like City Winery in Boston. And there's people in the front row who know lyrics to your songs that were written in the back bedroom in Clendalkin. Amazing. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, that's that's a that's a real turn you on your head moment. Amazing. Yeah.
2: yeah. Um how was it? Did you get to meet some of those people then after the gig? And
1: yeah, yeah, amazing. Like one particular lady, she drove from Baltimore to Massachusetts to be at the gig because so it was the only for that run, it was the closest show to her. And City Winery is kind of a venue a bit like Vicker Street. So it's tables and stuff. And uh, she was front and center for the whole thing. And it was just, you're in a land where the culture is totally different and their upbringing is different. And, you know, so where those things meet. And it was the land of my heroes, you know what I mean? Yeah. The, the the Dan Fogelbergs, the Bob Dylans, Randy Newmans, this is where they come from. So to be there and to, which was always the case, like when my first record, A Voice for the Urban Darlings, it did nothing here. It did nothing. And college radio in the States, because my record label were very forward-thinking, they sent it to different college radio in the States, and they picked up on it mm. over time. And it, it sort of had an existence like WBNY in New York or A100 in Wisconsin. Kamos, every Christmas, used to put me as part of their Celtic end-of-year playlists and stuff like that. Um, so the songs had a life um, where I, at the time, was... I. I had been like on holidays and stuff, but I wasn't touring there yet. So it was a couple of years. So by the time I got to tour there, there was people who bought my first record when it came out yeah. and now are seeing me four years later. Yeah. You know,
2: it was weird. Um, oh, oh, What's life like when you're when you're traveling around? And how do you like, is, is the discipline still involved there? Or do have you, you, have you have seen the lose, movie it? Almost Famous? I have.
1: Yeah, it's yeah. Been kind of like that sometimes. <laughs> well, the last few, because... When I've been touring, it's on a package tour, so there's a couple of artists and you'd all be together on the bus or on the plane or whatever. Yeah. So, yeah. Good fun. Oh, like another world. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then how is it
2: to come back to to, to Dublin? Is it incredibly it, it, it grounding? Is,
1: it's made my relationship with Dublin better. Oh. Because it's, it's home. You know, like you'd be in... We'd be in Tennessee Airport and you'd see the tricolor and mm. you'd have tears running down your face because you've been going for fifteen, sixteen, seventeen days yeah. with no thought of home. Or maybe you'll hear Lou Kelly's voice. Yeah. You know, you're going to get sushi. Yeah. And you hear the black velvet band. Yeah. And for some reason you just pour, you know. And a lot of a lot of the time I'd be on the road at Christmas time. So you're kinda mm. like, okay, two more states and then we're then it's Dublin. Jeez, I can imagine that being uh,
2: to a certain extent enjoyable but tough. Yeah. Um,
1: but at the same time it's like 16 year old you was like this is all you ever want this is the dream shut up moaning you know what I mean so the dream yeah
2: for sure weird thing how like you're, you're there's always like room for that uh that negative that negative mind or that negative voice in your in your mind someone said to me something really powerful recently and they go negativity is always shouting in your head whereas positivity is whispering and it's your choice whether you listen to the whispering or not yeah um yeah, that so was true. Jordan. I'm gonna get him on the podcast. So you see, he was like preaching to me. I was like, "Oh my God, man, this is some deep stuff." Yeah, it's so true. Yeah, uh, but it is. Yeah, it's always there. Um, but you just—it's like, how can you like focus on listening to, to specific stuff? Mm. And yeah. um, you said that you're you're gonna focus. Or your main focus is on your your own career uh, as opposed to songwriting for others. Yeah, at, at the moment. Um what's next for you what what are the things that we can look forward to or can we how do we listen to you or how do we you know go to a gig or or what what is it
1: so the next big gig i have would be the end of april the 22nd of april so one of the people who was and is a huge influence on my career is a guy called Dean Friedman mm-hmm. um he was he's an american singer songwriter and in the late 70s he had big hits like lucky stars which was a duet with denise marsa um and songs like Lydia McDonald's girl that you know he's a real your classic american songwriter and on his last two Irish tours he's had me he as a special guest which is always cool because when you when you go when you admire somebody and then they kind of give you the recognition of like okay well you can be my my special guest or support yeah. act That's, like that's huge to Amazing. Me. That, that's that's in arthur's jazz and blues bar on thomas street on the 22nd of april brilliant but um instagram like Instagram yep. is usually the place where we when we first came in here I was talking about let's do it for the content yeah Um, I, I'm trying to get better and better at that because one of the things I've kind of realised is there's trying to do something and then there's doing something and the stuff that we look to is those who do rather than look like they're trying to yeah. do something good point know? so it's a hard one
2: it really struggle
1: is struggle with it so much yeah it's hard but you kind of gravitate to those who really just it seems to flow
2: yeah, I, I a, there's a guy that we've had on before called Ross. Um, he he does a lot of content for the Brazilian community in 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 Ireland. Okay, um, and it's weird. He he, he he's kind of he, in his day to job. He's like a tour guide, and he's he's very expressive, but he is just himself on Instagram. And okay, he is the antithesis to what you would think would be. I'm sorry, he's brilliant at putting together content. Don't get, don't get me wrong. But he's not the, like... Um, and don't take this the wrong way, Ross. No, 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 he's yeah, not yeah. the stereotypically, massively good-looking guy with, like, muscles or anything like that that you think Instagram is all about. Okay, yeah, yeah. Or yeah, girl, yeah, you know, yeah, like... Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, he's just his own personality. Yeah. And he has grown so much on it. It's really impressive. Really? Yeah. Fair play to him. Um But he, he himself said, like, listen, guys, if you want to just... Do Instagram or whatever it is, bloody YouTube or whatever. Um, just be yourself. Yeah. Um, but that's hard too. it is. Yeah, it is hard. Yeah. Um, I find it incredibly difficult. Yeah. In fact, almost impossible. Like yeah, every time I like to do something for social media, I'm like, oh. <laughs> oh.
1: I know. I know. Yeah. Because you're looking at you from the perspective of you.
2: Yeah, I don't know what it is because this I can do so easily. And and I don't know. I guess, like I said earlier, I feel like nobody's actually listening to this and that the numbers that I see... Are just kind of make yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. believe, yeah,
2: that, that they're not yeah. actual, real. that doesn't actually mean yeah. a person listened to it, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Which
2: yeah. every now and then somebody has said something that they listen to in the podcast, and I say, like, Oh no, you don't actually listen to that, do you? Mm. <laughs> You're like, I have to be careful about what I'm saying. Well, I just try and get that in my head, but I do yeah. see that on, on social media. Mm. On social media, it's the opposite. It's like I'm thinking about what other people are, yeah, are seeing, yeah, of course. I think yeah. if you can get over that, then yeah, then you, you'd be flying. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to put a link to your social media and, and stuff like that in, okay, in the good. description of this yeah. episode so if anybody's daily. listening daily. Um, just we give you a follow on on that Yeah. there's a question I should have asked you at the beginning Okay. would you call yourself a column or column oh I, I battle with this daily column mm. column yeah some people go full column
1: the, re- the reason I put a hard emphasis on it is I'm very much involved with a facility called Oris Crona, which is an Irish cultural centre in Cundacan. And oh, I right. suppose if you were to irish my name, you would say Cullum. And I think a lot of times people say it very well-meaning. Mm. But it's like, that's not what my mother prisoned me. Mm. That's not what you're going to call me either. You yeah. know, that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, because I'm trying to think of how I could say, like, if someone called you Marcus, would it feel like, I won't say an attack, but Mark is more comfortable than yeah. Marcus. I, I get you. Yeah. So who in your life will call you Marcus that you go oh it's like Marcus clean yeah, your yeah, room fair. you know yeah right yeah exactly. So you know what you like and what you don't like. Yeah,
2: I get Marco a little bit, Marco. Okay. Yeah, uh, but yeah, I'm not I'm not Italian unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. Um, I didn't know that you you were involved in in that Irish. I'd love to talk more about that again. I don't know. Maybe I I'm, I might be overstretching our time, but I'm been thinking more and more about the irish language and you know gets it and interview a lot of people who are not from ireland here mm. and they're like what's the story with like oh, yeah, the, the irish signs everywhere and the fact that yeah. none of you actually speak it yeah i'm starting to become horribly ashamed mm. <laughs> and i'm like mm. maybe i should do something about this um yeah like obviously it would have been okay in school like yeah. grand i could do the urals no problem and all the rest of it sure but now oof, i can't remember anything yeah
1: it's tricky isn't it
2: can't remember anything um, so you've stayed in that and that world I
1: didn't stay in it I found it again later so Oris okay. Cronum was a facility that there's a huge emphasis on music because there's two uh, venues within the house itself and so my uncle Brino Gavin or Brian Gavin yeah. has been involved with them since the late 1980s and he would have given me it's a folk club basically so you would have groups like Gila Freddie White Four Men and a Dog, Mary Coughlin, Elder McAvoy, all passing through. And my earliest breaks, he would give me opening for these guys. So my connection with Oris Cronon ran that deep. And in recent years, I have started to hold a songwriter night every Friday, which has grown... Well, every Friday that I'm in Dublin, um, which has now grown to the point where every week it's full of people who want to listen to new original music as opposed to people who have to be there or whatever. And... Um, well, wow. and so through my affiliation with the place, I've mm-hmm. developed a love for Chonganagwega, you know, because I just think it's such a vital part of what it is that makes us Irish, and the role that the language would have played in at the turn of the century, and what it meant to be a country with its own language and to not speak the language of the oppressor, I suppose some yeah. people
2: would say. Yeah. You know. Brilliant. Really cool. Uh, Colm, you're a your brilliant narrator. Um, thanks, it's been a real pleasure talking to you. Hopefully, you. hopefully, one day we can we can come back and do this again anytime. Um, Thank you, Mark. Yeah, we, we'd I'd love to hear you, you live as well. Um, so twenty second of April in in Arthur's. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And, and do keep me informed if there's anything else coming up as oh, well. For sure. Yeah. Um, uh, it'll be really cool. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you, Dylan. Thanks for being here as well. Yeah, man. Dylan on uh, camera. Dylan on the camera yeah. in in the background. He's got some good shots. Absolutely. Um. Yeah. That's it.
1: Mila
0: Go to queens.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.